Matthew chapter 21, verses 17 through 46. Verses 17 through 19. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Burkett notes, Our blessed Savior, having driven the buyers and sellers out of the temple, lodges not that night in Jerusalem, but withdraws to Bethany, a place of retirement from the noise and tumult of the city. Where note, our Lord's love of solitude and retiredness. How delightful is it to a good man to dwell sometimes within himself, to take the wings of a dove and fly away and be at rest. Yet the next morning, our Lord returns to the city. He knew when to be solitary and when to be sociable, when to be alone and when to converse in company. In his passage to the city, he espied a fig tree, and being a hungered to show the truth of his humanity, he goes to the fig tree and finds it full of leaves, but without any fruit. Displeased with this disappointment, he curses the tree which had deceived his expectations. This action of our Savior in cursing the barren fig tree was typical, an emblem of the destruction of Jerusalem in general and of every person in particular that satisfies himself with a withered profession, bearing leaves only but no fruit. As this fig tree was, so are they nigh unto cursing. Learn hence that such as content themselves with a fruitless profession of religion are in great danger of having God's blasting added to their barrenness. Verses 20 through 22. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Burkett notes, The disciples, being filled with admiration at the sudden withering of the fig tree, thereupon our Savior exhorts them to have faith in God, that is, firmly to rely upon the power of God whereby he is able, upon the goodness of God whereby he is willing to fulfill his promises to us. Learn one, that faith is a necessary ingredient in prayer. Praying without faith is like shooting without a bullet. It makes a noise, but does no execution. 2. That whatsoever good thing God has made the matter of a promise shall be given to good men, praying in faith. Whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Yet note that the faith here promised to root up mountains must be restrained to the age of miracles and to the persons to whom this was spoken, namely the apostles and first propagators of the gospel it being certain from experience that this is no ordinary and perpetual gift of Christians. Verses 23 through 27. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing which, if ye tell me, I, and likewise, will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, 
If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Burkett notes, The Pharisee, having often questioned our Savior's doctrine before, they call in question his mission and authority now, although they might have easily understood his divine mission by his divine miracles. Almighty God never empowered any to work miracles that were not sent by him. When the adversaries of Christ can object nothing against his doctrine, they then quarrel with him about his commission and calling, and demand by what authority he doth teach and work miracles. Our blessed Savior, well understanding their drift and design, answers them one question by asking them another. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Was it of divine institution or of human invention? Implying that the calling of such as call themselves the ministers of God ought to be from God. No man ought to take this honor upon himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, Hebrews 5, 4. The Pharisees reply, they could not tell whence John had his mission and authority. This was a manifest untruth. By refusing to tell the truth, they fall into a lie. One sin ensnares and draws man into the commission of more. Such as will not speak exact truth according to their knowledge, they fall into the sin of lying against their consciences. Our Savior answers them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. He doth not say, I cannot, or I will not tell you, but I do not, I need not tell you, because the miracles which I work before you are a sufficient demonstration of my divine commission, that I am sent of God amongst you. For God never set the seal of his omnipotence to a lie, or empowered an impostor to work real miracles. Verses 28 through 32. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, but went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. Burkett notes, the design and scope of this parable is to show that publicans and harlots, that is, the vilest, the profanest, and worst of sinners, who, upon the hearing of Christ's doctrine and miracles, did repent and believe, were in a much better condition than the proud Pharisees, who, though they pretended to great measures of knowledge and high degrees of holiness, yet did obstinately oppose Christ, disobey his doctrine, deny his miracles, and set at naught his person. Learn hence that the greatest, the vilest, and the worst of sinners upon their repentance and faith in Christ shall much sooner find acceptance with God than proud, pharisaical judiciaries who confidently rely upon their own righteousness. Publicans and harlots, says Christ here to the Pharisees, shall go into the kingdom of God before you. Publicans were the worst sort of men, and harlots the worst kind of women. Yet did these repent sooner? and believe in Christ before the proud Pharisee. 
The reason was because their hearts lay more open to the strokes of conviction than those that were blinded by vain hope and presumptuous confidence. Security frustrates all means of recovery. Verses 33 through 38. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit grew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. Burkett notes, In this parable, God compares the Jewish church to a vineyard, himself to a householder, his planting, pruning, and fencing his vineyard denotes his care to furnish his church with all needful help and means to make it spiritually fruitful. His letting it out to husbandmen signifies his committing the care of his church to the priests and Levites, the public pastors and governors of the church. His servants are the prophets and apostles, whom he sent from time to time to admonish them to bring forth fruit answerable to the cost which God had expended on them. His son is Jesus Christ, whom the rulers of the Jewish church slew and murdered. The scope of the parable is to discover to the Jews, particularly to the Pharisee, their obstinate impenitency under all means, their bloody cruelty to the prophets of God, their tremendous guilt in crucifying the Son of God, for all which God would unchurch them finally and ruin their nation and set up a church among the Gentiles that should bring forth better fruit than the Jewish church ever did. From the whole, note one, that the church is God's vineyard, exceeding dear and precious to the planter and the owner of it. Two, as dear as God's vineyard is unto him, in case of barrenness and unfruitfulness, it is in great danger of being destroyed and laid waste by him. Three, that the only way and course to engage God's care over his vineyard and to prevent his giving it to other husbandmen is to give him the fruits of it. It is but a vineyard that God lets out. It is no inheritance. No people ever had so many promises of God's favor as the Jews had, nor ever enjoyed so many privileges whilst they stood in his favor as the Jews did. Yet, though they were the first and natural branches, they are broken off, and we Gentiles stand by faith. Let us not be high-minded, but fear. Romans 11.20 Verses 40 and 41 When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto these husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Burkett notes, Observe here, at the first mention of the parable, the Pharisees express a bitter indignation against such wicked servants, not considering what a dreadful sentence they passed upon themselves and their own nation. Little did they think that thereby they condemned their temple to be burnt, their city to be destroyed, their country to be ruined. But in these words they vindicate God. They condemn themselves and own the justice of God in inflicting the severest punishments on them. Verses 42 and 43. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, 
and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Burkett Notes Which words are the application that our Savior makes of the foregoing parable concerning the vineyard, which the chief priests and Pharisees did not apprehend themselves to be concerned in till he brought the application home unto them? Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, etc. Note 1. The greatest mercy that God can bestow upon any people is his giving his kingdom to them. That is, all gospel ordinances and church privileges leading to the kingdom of heaven. 2. Observe the terms upon which God either gives or continues his kingdom to a church and nation, and that is, upon bringing forth the fruits thereof. Learn 3. That the greatest judgment which can befall a people is the taking away the kingdom of God from them. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given, etc. Verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will ground him to powder. Burkett notes, These words are taken out of the 118th Psalm, which the Jews understood to be a prophecy of the Messiah, and accordingly Christ applies them to himself. The church is the building intended. Christ himself, the stone, rejected. The rejectors, or the builders rejecting, were the heads of the Jewish church, that is, the chief priests and Pharisee. God, the great master builder of this church, takes this precious foundation stone out of the rubbish and sets it in the head of the corner. Nevertheless, there are some who stumble at this stone. Some through ignorance, others through malice, stumble at his person, at his doctrine, at his institutions. These shall be broken into pieces, but on whomsoever this stone shall fall, it will ground them to powder. That is, Christ himself will fall as a burdensome stone upon all those that knowingly and maliciously oppose him, and particularly upon the Jews, who not only rejected him, but persecuted and destroyed him. Thus Christ tells the chief priests and Pharisees their own particular doom, and also declares what will be the fatal issue of all that opposition which is made against himself and his church. It will terminate in their inevitable and irreparable destruction. Whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, and on whomsoever it shall fall, it will ground him to powder. That is, he that stumbles on this stone while Christ is here on earth, being offended at his doctrine, life, and miracle, shall be broken by his fall upon it, as the person stoned is by the sharp stone which he falls upon. But he on whom the stone shall fall, when Christ is elevated to his throne of glory, shall be more violently shattered by it, as is the person stoned by the great stone as big as two men can lift, thrown violently down upon his breast. Verses 45 and 46. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. Burkett notes, When the chief priests came to understand that these parables were all applied to them, that they were the murderers of the king's son, that they were the builders that reject the chief cornerstone. They were enraged at the close application made to themselves, and had not fear restrained them, would have laid violent hands upon him. Learn thence that nothing doth more provoke and exasperate unsound hypocrites than the particular application and close coming home of the word of God unto their hearts and consciences. So long as the truths of God are generally delivered, sinners are easy. 
looking upon themselves as unconcerned. But when the word of God comes close to them, and they say, Thou art the man, this is thy wickedness. They are angry at the message, and rage at the messenger.